dollar. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode one to six of Ribbon of Memes. This is a podcast for which our main objectives are to serve the public trust, uphold the law and protect the innocent. Beep, 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 classified. I am Nick. I am the faithful uh, partner of this podcast. And I am joined as ever by Roger. Technically dead. <laughs> and we are here to discuss an, uh, I was about to say an 80s action movie. I suppose it is really, isn't it? Um, but mm. it is Paul Verhoeven's blood-soaked possible masterpiece um, with a, oh, I don't know, it's got the best, it's not the best name in the world, but it is Robocop. Uh, and the title, uh, maybe the worst thing about it, <laughs> actually, because um, it's otherwise, um, well, we'll talk about what it otherwise is. Yeah. This is a sort of cyberpunk slash, well, it's not really cyberpunk, but it's certainly cyberpunk adjacent, dystopian near future mm. science fiction film. And um, it's... Shall, shall, shall we just summarise the plot to start with? Yes, yes. Well, we have some lovely uh, satire of over the top. The, the, the one thing that hasn't aged so well with these films, and it's not that they've aged badly, but the things that are supposed to be over the top satire adverts of American culture now really look pretty tame, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm. So we start with like 24 hour news of these news keepers effortly, effortlessly, effortlessly moving between, um, Cat stuck up a tree and um, entire neighbourhoods vaporised by a uh, orbiting space laser uh, with barely a change in tone. But uh, saying that makes it sound as if that's something new or interesting. But as that is basically the news now, <laughs> that I, I don't really know that it works as a parody anymore. It's more prescient than parody. And similarly, um, what's actually happening is the Megacorp uh, is uh, effectively taking taking over the police. Yes, we have Omni Consumer Products, um, who are this giant corporation who have um, unusually, back in those days, moved into areas not traditionally seen as profitable, like hospitals and schools. Um, my kid's school has a CEO currently, rather than, <laughs> rather than a head teacher. I'll just point that out. So. Um, we are rather closer to that dark future than, uh, in fact, that future looks pretty great compared to the one we've got here. But, but anyway, mo mostly this is a huge property scam. Um, yes. The, the, uh, south, is it south? Um, anyway, a, a section of Detroit is, is, is slated to be. They call it old Detroit. I don't know where that is in, in yeah. the context of Detroit. It, it's going, it's going to be demolished and redeveloped. And this is going to make a huge amount of money. Um, but there, there is currently a, a lot of crime there. And so the corporation has come in and say, we, we will deal with the crime. And then, then, then you will let us, uh, build Delta this, City. This land that we don't currently own, but we will soon. And, uh, we will employ all, all these, uh, build, builders and construction workers and contractors and all the rest of it and all the rest of it. But, so we, we, we need a way of dealing with crime in a hurry. Uh, and also it'd be much nicer if we could deal with it without those annoying cops and their unions and the fact that when they get shot, they're always bleating about it. So maybe if we built a robot cop, <laughs> that would save us any of the trouble. 
Yeah, but but even that as a, as a backup project. I mean, this this is the great thing. I mean, um, the the uh, senior president has got this um, medium large warbot. Yes, yes. Um, which is going to be demonstrated as a law enforcer. Um, and as he points out, it doesn't really matter whether it works or not. The point is, pe- pe- yeah, its existence will will cause military military uh, purchasers to buy it, and then yeah, this get is... gar- guaranteed uh, maintenance contracts. Yeah, big big money maker. If it I mean, works, this so is delight. <laughs> it's delightfully cynical. I mean, right from the what well, I really one of the things I I very much like lots about Robocop, but I really like the the backroom corporate stuff side. Uh, uh, you know, subplot. Uh, we have the, the main plot of the cops and what happens to them, but the subplot is just so cutthroat. These people are, without exception, absolute bastards. The one who is questionably not a bastard, um, uh, gets shot to death. I mean, shot to death in a way that I'd never seen anyone get shot to death in anything ever, um, before. They just get, I think the, the, the poor actor, so he, uh, in a boardroom meeting, um, Dick Jones, the the uh, the particularly nasty uh, amongst a group of absolute uh, bastards executives, um, gets uh, Mr. Kenny to hold a gun at this warbot to demonstrate how tough it is. Unfortunately, they didn't turn on its oral sensors or something because it doesn't hear him drop the gun on the floor. Boardroom carpet's too thick. Oh, right. Yeah, that, either way. But it, it, you know, what I like is it's never quite clear because it's basically all confusion afterwards. Um, and then it basically opens up with, um, uh, old painless from Predator, except it's got one on each arm on this young corporate executive. And I think he holds the record for the highest number of squibs exploded <laughs> on a human <laughs> being during a film. Um, and Paul Verhoeven just kept asking for more blood, more blood. He wanted fountains of it. And, he got he got it because that is a pretty gratuitous death, followed by one of my favourite lines, and I have a lot of favourite lines in this film. Mate, we need some paramedics in here. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this, you, you need a shuffle, mate. <laughs> there's this lump of flesh that has been uh, jibbed in the parlance of the nineties. <laughs> what a paramedic's going to do? I'm not sure, but yes, it's great. Um, and then uh, the executive tries to pass this off as a glitch. Um, which I, another uh, favorite line. This is just a glitch. But then we have, um, the, uh, up and thrusting executive, Bob Morton, whose friend has just been, um, well, presumably not friend, but his colleague has just been. I think they might be playing it a bit strong. Yes. Uh, then pushes forward with his line of the Robocop project. Um, and it turns out they have been moving, um, police officers who fit the profile for their thing into areas where they're more likely to get shot. I, I think that's kind mm-hmm. of what they're saying, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so it's just straight away. I just, there's so many little moments there that are just, and they, I don't know, for me, that works really well. I'm really into the, the corporate intrigue. They're all bastards, but it's all, you can see it all yeah. working together. Um, it's got another favourite line of mine, that's life in the big city, um, <laughs> as they're going back down the set. And then we move to Murphy, who has, we've already seen him move to this new precinct, but he's from a much nicer part of Detroit. But now it's just time to wait until some poor sucker volunteers. <laughs> yes. Uh, Q Murphy and his new partner, Lewis, um, as they uh, go out on patrol and they encounter the Bodica gang, Clarence Bodica. Again, another great I, I suppose if I have a slight complaint, the Clarence Bodica character, who is the 
one of the chief antagonists, he's very shouty and angry, and you know? maybe he goes mm-hmm. a bit over the top here. Um, he is quite annoyed because um, the... Well, let's face it, he's probably not a stable personality in the first place. <laughs> he's not really, is he? I, I don't mind it, but perhaps it just get, it veers into a bit too much over the top for me. Um, but he's, he's quite annoyed because the the safe that was blown open, um, <laughs> they burnt all the money. Um, and so, anyway, Murphy and his partner track um, the Bodica gang to uh, sort of an old steel warehouse. Um, Generic Lewis. industrial site. Generic industrial site, which looked um, like it was very cheap to hire for a film. Um, and <laughs> oh, you think they actually featured. told anybody they were going there? <laughs> <laughs> um, Lewis gets incapacitated, but um, uh, not uh, not hurt. And then Murphy gets oh, another pretty gratuitous, horrible death moment here. Now, I, we were talking about Halloween recently and how my distaste for sort of slashes and I... Uh, it's clearly not violence on films that I dislike, because here is, um, oh, I don't want to say glorious, but it all kind of serves a purpose. Um, I, I, I would agree. I mean, the, the point of, and Verhoeven was, was on set saying, no, make, make it more gory, make it more gory. <laughs> but yeah. he's got a reason for that. This is specifically, um, A, it, it is a parallel with the more gore we've just seen with, with Ed 209, but B, it's this, you you might expect you probably don't expect a a a violent violent bloody scene in the boardroom. You probably do expect a violent bloody scene in in the lawless yes. old town, and yet this goes way beyond what you might expect. And I think that is part of the point. Yes, and I also you know, the, think the, these are not just random cop killers. They 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 are explicitly um, making it as bloody and painful for the guy as possible before they kill him. And they're really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Michael Myers in Halloween, there's uh, no concept of what, what is happening in his head, um, other than the odd knitting needle. But what, what's happening, they're just, <laughs> they're absolute bastards as well, in a very different way to the, the corporate guys, um, who would probably all enjoy it too. They just don't say it. Um, but here they're just, they're just loving torturing this guy to death. And I think the scene other serves another purpose, uh, aside from the visceral horror of it, which is, um, you feel really flipping sorry for Murphy. Like what happens to him? And he's a nice guy and he just gets put through this grinder. Um, now if that was just a torture, like in Reservoir Dogs, it was just to torture the, the cop for the sake of it. That's maybe a bit more gratuitous in a way. Uh, but here, the point is, you're re- you're kind of rooting for him, and, and it gives the rest of the film more emotional depth. The horror of what happens to him in that in that basement, I think. Mm. Anyway, he gets uh, quite uh, badly minced. Um, he's wearing body armor, which is why he's not quite in the same state as poor Mister Kenny after uh, Ed Terra Nine has had its go with him. Um, but he's still not in great shape. Then we see the paramedics doing again it seems a bit pointless with murphy who seems very dead but he must have some life signs because um they have a go at it well uh, I, th- I think part of that is, is uh the the legal aspect that he must be de- he must be um declared dead before the project can progress yes i uh, did th- wonder this reminds that... me a little of of the chronics people who who you know because they're, because they're doing things which would definitely be fatal if you did them to a living person. Um, I mean, they're, they're also completely daft because they haven't worked out half the problems yet, but never mind. Uh, but the, the point is, from a legal point of view, they, they, they say, okay, you know, get, 
wait, wait until you can actually get somebody to pronounce death and say, and yeah, then we right, can do we, what we want. We are not bringing you back from this. Nothing can be done. And then we will pump out all your blood and pump in antifreeze and all the rest of it. Oh yeah, I'll do. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't sign up to cryonics just yet. Let's let's put it that way. Um, uh, I wasn't entirely clear because we only see it from Murphy's point of view whether he's been flown to like. Uh, it's it's suggested that OC, this uh, this big corp OCP owns the hospitals or at least part of them. So presumably he's been flown to a hospital where they're already on standby to do this sort of uh, cyborg upgrade. Um, mm. It's not entirely clear, but they do seem to be giving it a good old go to stop poor old Murphy dying. But then he dies. Well, um, I, mm, the, the the impression I got, and I, I'm, I may well have been misreading this because I, because particularly this rewatch, I, I I know the film really quite well. Um, <laughs> yes. Was that they they were basically going through the motions? You know, th- this guy mm. is is basically just a slab of meat, but we are going to go through the standard. It's like they have a checklist, isn't it? In fact, they probably do literally have a checklist that we've got yeah. to go down. We've done all these things, right? He's legally dead. Which, to be fair, is is not wildly different from what you do in in a no. I, I think that's, anyway. I don't think that is a uh, yeah. I agree. It's, it's it's basically what happens in an emergency room anyway. Uh, then he dies, and then we have uh, again. Um, I'm trying to be uh, critical. Now, there are some things I'm critical of in Robocop, <laughs> but this this scene where he's then resurrected digitally, all from his point of view, I just I just love it. It's really well done. I think where we just see the technicians trying to fix him and things are going wrong, and they're like, oh, "Shit, it's losing his uh, it's losing his vertical hold or whatever." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that reminds me of a, a VCR vertical hold and the trouble I had with it. Um, but, uh, but 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 also yeah, uh, uh, when um, what's his name? Miguel Miguel Ferrer, um, Bob Morton, when he he comes in to to supervise, and they say, "Yeah, we we were able to save the, we were able to save the arm." Yeah, yeah, we agreed on total body prosthesis. Lose the arm. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then, well, then he makes the exact his, his mate uh, makes or his his colleague makes the point. Well, he's legally dead. It's our property now, and that well, that's why the whole film is shot through with this kind of cynicism about capitalism and consumerism and how corporates behave um and it's done in a way that they're not ha-ha evil villains just behaving like greedy bastards which i i think it's done well here that mm. like yeah mm. well he's our property now and i think that is that's got something to say about property and consumerism and um uh, uh, commodification of 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 things that people <laughs> that everything that makes us human but it's a nice sequence as well that we have the uh, the scientists uh, as they fit his uh, you see like you see his disembodied arm before it's attached to him and Bob Morton uh, trying to shake it um, and getting his hands nearly crushed. Yeah, now a thing I hadn't noticed previously. I'm, I'm not sure she ever gets named on screen. Uh, the, the the female scientist, the scientist with glasses. With glasses. I, I don't recall her being named. Um, she, she's she's the one who who drunkenly kisses him at the Christmas party. Um, but she, when she's saying, uh, yeah, you crush every bone in your hand, I, I just got a feeling this time she's really happy to be saying that to him. Yeah, ma- <laughs> you ma- mentioned ma- that maybe, to me. Maybe he just sort of, you know, slipped an arm around her shoulders in the lift or something, but yeah, she, she's really happy to be able to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that is what I love. There's full of little things. I, you mentioned that to me. And so when I got to it, she, yeah, she is like brimming with glee as she says this, because she clearly thinks, as most people do, that Bob Morton is an asshole. He's just, <laughs> so he's, that's another thing I like about it. He's like, 
in a way, the one of the potential heroes of the film. Except he's not. He's just as much of an asshole as any of the other corporates in it. Well, um, I mean, to just... start with, he set things up for Murphy to get killed. Exactly, so yeah. It's not... his fault that Murphy's in this position. It's, um, but then the infighting between him and Dick Jones is, oh, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that that some of it happens in the executive washroom. I mean, it is it is very much the genitalia measuring of, of the. <laughs> I, uh, there's something about I I know Paul Verhoeven is um, over the top and perhaps not uh, not as subtle in some other films. There's something about eighties corporate culture uh, that. It's kind of unsatirable in the sense that you can't really go over the top. It's a bit like uh, American politics today, I suppose. You can't really go too far because it it happens, and so it feels realistic, mm. even if it's even if it seems faintly ridiculous. It just yeah, as you say, there's a lot of um, dick swinging going on in the corporate washroom. Anyway, Murphy gets transformed into Robocop. Uh, and it has uh, taken to the local police station, which happens to be the police station that Murphy briefly spent there for half a morning. Um, and Lewis recognised he does his TJ lasers, a good little, <laughs> it's a good little parody as well, but he does his TJ laser spinning his gun round on his finger. And Murphy starts to think, may, uh, sorry, Lewis starts to think, uh, that maybe this could be Murphy who has been dead for we don't know. There's, there's been a, a period of time, a while, months, I expect. Um, Nancy Allen is really good. So she was mm. known, um, as sort of a, kind of a, a sex symbol or she'd been in, um, not, uh, not Ripley-esque films, should we say. She had not been sort of a strong female, uh, by, I mean, by strong, I, in this sense, I mean, physically strong, um, and, and quite masculine. Here she uh, pulls she, off a she's great. She's one of the mean girls in the, in the original Carrie. Um, I think she's yes. the, the chief mean girl. Um, she, she, she has a, a lot of credits as prostitute or similar. But here she's, uh, I think she does a great job of being, um, a strong female in this. And what I mean by that is physically tough, but still feminine, mm. um, character. I think she's really, uh, and, uh, caring and observant and, uh, you know, the way that she genuinely, you know, Murphy does actually behave a, like a bit of a dick, but they have a nice rapport when they first meet. And she clearly, although she's very, um, tired of new partners, it's believable that they have a connection there, that it, it, it comes across well, even though they have half a morning to sort of work together. Also nice to see that there's no romance angle whatsoever. I mean, Murphy's yes. married, um, Lewis is, we don't know. But yeah. yeah, they are just partners, and there is this whole thing that I, I keep coming across in popular culture: the idea that men and women can't work together without sex coming into it. To which I say, "Well, have you met any gay people? You know, you can't actually stop <laughs> that." But um, I think this is, this is a good example in film of yeah, there, there is there is no sexual tension component at all. They're just they're partners. They work together. They're partners. And to some extent, it's, it's a surprise in a way that she's a. Female character. So this would have worked just at, well, I I'm very happy that she, but uh, as you say, because there's no element of romance, she could have worked well as a male character, a male partner, but they, they managed to bring that, what feels like a traditionally, oh, guy partners bonding, um, with partner, not sexual partners, but with working partners. They make that, they don't make a thing of it. It's just, 
it just is that yeah mm. I, I i thought it was really well done um so robocop hits the streets and then we get a little vignette of him uh solving various crimes in different ways most um, involving shooting <laughs> mostly involving shooting people uh my slight issue with I, it's full of little humor as well like the the <laughs> the interaction there's the uh, disgruntled uh um city hall employee is taking the mayor hostage and the interaction between the SWAT guy and him where he's talk, where he's trying to talk him down he's saying yeah I want one of the cars that's got really shitty gas mileage and it looks great um I just the dialogue just worked very well for me I will argue that when he's got a gun to someone's head punching through the wall behind him might not be the the risk freest way of, of <laughs> saving that hostage um but they're, they're nice little vignettes anyway. We get the the great kind of the guy who's pretty much sole dialogue for the last last uh, at least half his dialogue is him saying "fuck me" over and over again as he shoots Robocop, which I quite like. But clearly, the memory wipe didn't work quite as well as they'd hoped it would, and it, it, it's never made explicit whether there's actually an organic brain in there. But I think we, we can probably assume there is. We, we think so. There's, there's something recognisably remaining of Murphy anyway. And part, part of the goal of the project was to have the, the instincts of someone who has been a cop yes. dri- driving this essentially robotic frame. So, yeah, and, and the, the wipe didn't work as well as it did. He, he, gets, he starts getting flashbacks of A, his death, but also B, his family. Very early on in his career as well, uh, much to the upset of the executives who... Uh, just like Dick Jones, don't really give a shit whether he works or not. They just want to, want him to make money for them. Uh, which it works in Robocop's favour because rather than pulling him and rewiping his memory, he's just sort of sent back on the streets anyway. But then he meets, um, he meets, uh, Emil, who was one of the Bodica gang who killed him. Now, and... what, what I really like about the gang is that they, yeah, he, he could could just have been Bodica and his thugs, but each of them oh. does look different, and they, each of them does act differently. You know, They've all well, not, I've you, been. You, it's it's hard to say you know, that this guy. You're not going to forget that this guy is Emil and that guy is Leon. Yeah, apparently they were a good ensemble. That group, that uh, as often is the way with this sort of thing, they worked sort of were slightly separate to the rest of it, and they all worked well together, and they actually all had a theatre background, so they all came up with backgrounds to each other. Uh, so, yeah, run, run, runs into Emil, and, um, yeah, Emil recognises another mannerism, the whole dead or alive, you're coming with me. Yes. And these are very, again, this is shorthand and, and cliches in a way that real life isn't quite as neat as that, and if I do have some issues with Robocop, it's that the narrative is a bit... Uh, neat. Mm. But I don't mind it. I mean, this is essentially a sort of a comic book film before everything you watched at the cinema was always comic book films anyway. But it wasn't actually based on a comic book, if you don't count the fact that it significantly ripped off Judge Dredd. Um, but uh, it significantly ripped off Iron Man as well, to be fair. I, I don't mind that. I, I think inspired by rather than ripped off is, is probably fair enough. Mm. Uh, but yes, he, uh, then goes to the, there's a nice bit. What I mean by a bit neat is yes, things like dead or alive, you're coming with me, which isn't, I don't know, it's not the greatest catchphrase in the world, but it's enough for him to recognize it. And um, similarly, not, there's a bit of perhaps the most distinctive phrase, but then, you know, perhaps as far as Emil's concerned, it's the same, same delivery, the same, at least a similar voice. 
there's something that reminds him of it, yes. Yeah. And, and he goes to the data place and then we get the foreshadowing of, I've got a great big spike that comes out of my fist. Um, actually, it's a data transfer device. Um, that looks way more exciting than a USB socket. <laughs> 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 Nowadays, you just have USB-C and it would, it would spoil the climax of the film. But then we have um, Dick Jones clearing up his mess in a way because he gets Bob Morton killed. Uh, perhaps we're getting into the weeds of the plot a bit. I just like the plot. Well, too. yeah, that, that, that's, that's where it gets interesting for me because this obviously is some extension echo of Network. Or so, yes, so it seems to that's me. Fair, yeah. that, you know, on the one level, you've got the corporate stuff, and on the other level, you've got the, the real world that is affected by the corporate stuff. Yes, but what what Dick Jones is doing here by 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 sending his his effectively employee Clarence after Bob Morton is to say right, well, no, here here is a real world thing, and and your 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 corporate status does not protect you from a guy who just does not care about your corporate status. Yes, oh, that's a nice, I hadn't thought of it like that, but yeah, that's when the two, aside from Robocop's creation, this is when the two start to cross over a bit. Um, so Bob Morton is killed in a, uh, by Clarence. Um, Clarence, it's, he is an interesting, sometimes he's over the top, but he's, uh, I, I, he's really well played, um, again by, uh, Kurtwood Smith, in that he's um he's thoroughly dislikable, but he's very he's smart and he's he's kind of funny, but also I, I just I I don't know he's he's not he's he's hard to just stereotype into just a villain, uh in a way that Dick Jones probably is a bit more uh, a boo his villain. Um, there's 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 interesting character points. There, there's a there. suggestion that that, he, that he's trying to be the more intellectual type, you know. Mm. Yeah, you know, wearing the glasses and all right, the Hemlock glasses, which was actually what Verhoeven intended. But he he <laughs> comes over on the film as, as as trying to rise above his the obvious street 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 thug background. But it's also nice to see that he also he kind of is a street thug and he's never mm-hmm. going to succeed and never get any better. Um, but he 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 knows he's kind of better than them, but he's he's not good enough for corporate world. It's it's nicely done. Anyway. Uh, Robocop, uh, Murphy finds his old house. I think that's a really nice scene as well. I just, the, the world building is not, it just feels to me horribly dystopian. What I mean by that is the estate agent showing him around the house. There's no actual estate agent there. It's just a, you know, a Google, <laughs> um, a Microsoft paperclip assistant estate agent that just shows you around the house. And it's got that kind of sheen of, friendliness and this is hey and we're good and you come or why don't you make me an offer but underneath is just this there's no human touch it's all gone this way and i it feels like the way the world is actually gone which i think um i appreciate uh it, it being um uh prescient in that way hmm. anyway murphy gets grumpy and punches <laughs> punches the screen because he uh has realized i, I read the human kind of tragedy of it does come across to me as well i mean i peter weller is a he's an interesting character in a lot of ways i think but he's very good here as as, as mm. murphy and then as robocop yeah they they did originally try to uh get schwarzenegger on this but they they reckoned in the end that the bulk of the guy plus the bulk of the costume <laughs> just wouldn't be plausible on screen yes that um, makes sense and certainly Weller spent a lot of time learning to move in the specific Robocop way, which is, I think, works extremely well. 
He had a, 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 a big dance choreographer um, come and help him. In fact, he'd come up with this whole method of moving um, and then he put the suit on and he just couldn't couldn't move at all in the way that he wanted to. So they had to come up with a completely different way of moving and nearly sort of close the film down because of the whole argument about, well, I couldn't do what he wanted to do. Um, but it, it worked for the, you know, he's got this whole kind of weird, um, it's like his chest first movement. I don't know how to do it, but his, his body moves before his head. It, it's, it works very well. I mean, again, mm. it may be a bit... Um, and this Christ, was the first I thing I saw Weller in, and I was very impressed. I, I was always faintly surprised that he, did, he didn't go on to be a, a bigger star. And the, the only other thing that really comes to mind that I've seen him in is Leviathan, which I liked, but, oh boy, it ain't good. <laughs> uh, he's in Naked Lunch. I think some of that may be... Uh, no, <laughs> it's going to be libelous. But it may have something to do with Weller's personality himself. I think he is uh, what may be... What is sometimes described as a difficult customer to work with but i think everyone uh, considering paul verhoeven is also considered pretty difficult um it, it must have been a contentious shoot um but it went all right we got robocop out of it yeah um yeah the, 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 looking at the origin of this uh ed neumeyer um was a very junior film guy 10 years earlier ish um he he got the very basic idea of it. Basically went, went and worked as a gopher on Blade Runner just to soak in, soak in more science fiction atmosphere. Um, and then, uh, um, yeah, carried on with the development from there. Well, um, what I, what I like here is that it isn't this kind of drizzly, rainy, mm. uh, future Los Angeles. It's, um, it's so near future you can touch it. Um, whereas Blade Runner feels just a bit further away. Um, uh, but it's just as horrifying in its own way. All the little adverts that come in. I would really like to play a game of Newcomb, I have to say. <laughs> there's, a, there's a board game in there that looks great. And the, um, I like the little integration of, so this weird game show. Well, it's not a game show. I don't know, I'm not quite sure what it is, a sitcom or a game show, but it's well, the, they, I'd they, buy they, that for a dollar thing. The catchphrase thing. Yeah. Apparently they, they based it on uh, Benny Hill. <laughs> and the idea, you know, here, here, here is this um, short, ugly guy who is just draped in beautiful women all the time. <laughs> um, what I like about it, as you demonstrated on the intros, the second it's on the TV, everyone just starts laughing, even though it's not. I don't know. It's a nonsensical catchphrase; it doesn't make a lot, but they all love it. Um, and then even the corporates are joking about it, like I buy that for a dollar, right? And I just, I don't know, like, nice bit of world building that ties it all together. Um, mm. I don't know. I just like that thing. So I've got some. There are some love. Well, shall we, shall we just finish finish off the plot? Yes, finish uh, the plot. So yeah. anything we haven't touched on. So following Bob, the plot, Bob, Bob Morton is ahead. dead. Um, he um, Robocop fi finds uh, Bodica and uh, sl throws him around the, the drug lab. Yes. Um, Bodica, Huge, big shooty shooty bang bang uh, moment. Bodica gives up Dick Jones, um, but also there's a bit of foreshadowing here because it, he says, "I work for OCP," and then Robocop decides not not to murder him after all. Yes, yes, um, and we've already had this foreshadowed when he's been asked, you know, what are your four, what what are your prime directives, and then we get the nice point of view of there's another objective that's classified that we don't know what it is. Bob Morton's not even aware of it. Um, 
So he, yes, he goes to try and arrest Tick Jones and turns out objective four is, um, you can't arrest a senior member of OCP. Mm-hmm. Which feels very much like one of those things that will be in the terms and conditions that you scroll through and click at the end I of I mean, it. as we write this, uh, the, the story is continuing to break of a train manufacturer which specifically set up its trains to to break at defined intervals or if they were taken to certain places which were known to be repair workshops that weren't company-approved repair workshops. Uh, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's just it just rings true, doesn't it? In a way that um, it's a really good plot point. It really affects the plot, but it's just it's not like what well, it's it just it just works. And then we have what I like is that the every time it Ed two oh nine this fearsome creature that we've been introduced to at the beginning, uh, it is fearsome. It does a lot of damage to Robocop, but it can't handle stairs. It turns out, and it, again, it's those kind of corporate shortcuts that show one why. Robocop superior because you know he has the human trait of can use stairs <laughs> just sort of <laughs> built into him um and two it's just it's the kind of corporate shortcuts they would take because they really didn't give a shit whether it worked properly or not they just wanted to sell a lot of them so Robocop escapes Dick Jones office having been um shot up by Ed 209 makes it down to the basement where the police have been called uh because in- the police, including tactical squad guy, yes, indeed, who's uh, still, still, still got a bit of a burn on for being shown up by Robocop at the hostage situation earlier. Yes, yes, a nice little characterization here. Um, it it shows you the disadvantages, perhaps, of having a huge corporation in charge of uh, basically an urbanized army in your city, um, which has um, permission to uh, murder people at whim. Um, maybe we shouldn't do that. Just, <laughs> just, um, unfortunately, I don't think, well, no, I'm not going to get, I was about to say police forces haven't been privatized currently, but I, uh, well, yeah. a, a Marxist approach would say that the police are intrinsically the strong arm of capital, whether that's explicit or not. I mean, that, that's what they're there to defend. So yes, does, does it entirely matter whether they are controlled by the state doing what capital says or controlled directly by capital? Well, it matters to Dick Jones, let's put it But yes, I take the point. Um, anyway, Robocop is further shot up, um, but escapes Murphy, is rescued by Lewis, who is now absolutely convinced that she's his previous partner, and so is Murphy. They drive off to another generic um, industrial wasteland. Um, and then... I think it may be the same one from a different angle, actually. Uh, it probably, yeah. It doesn't matter too much. Um, but he takes his helmet off and then you see his face. Now, I'm not entirely clear whether that's his head or whether they've basically taken his face off and then just kind of stuck it back on. I don't know. I mean, from the point of view of we are constructing a robot body and, and a brain carrier of some sort, there is no reason to maintain the face. So, and, and, yeah. if, and if you were building it for a PR thing, then why would you make it look like the original guy? Yeah, but, so it's an, yeah. another one of those little moments that's just a bit uh, filmic and neat. Um, with, uh, and that, I suppose, I was coming around, talking it through, maybe that's my main complaint with Robocop, which is not a high one, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 you don't mind it though, because mm. uh, unlike um, uh, our recent discussion of Halloween, where anything that happened like that, I was like, oh, fuck off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in this one, I'm like, oh, go on then. So a lot of it depends on what attitude you're in by this stage of the film. 
Yeah, I mean, this, this is a, a fairly standard Basil Polidori's score. It's not a bad one, but it, it, it doesn't lure me in the way a 5-4 score does. <laughs> That's fair enough. I, I, can, I can still hum the Robocop theme, but it's not... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. Mm, I don't know if it's iconic because the film was good or what, but uh, it's, yeah, I, I think it's fair enough to say it's nothing massively special. Um, then uh, Dick Jones hires Clarence Boddicker again to do his dirty work, gives him the tracker that tells you wherever Robocop is at any time, and gives him some military-grade shooty bang-bangs, uh, because it turns out OCP also own the military, which seems like a great, <laughs> a great idea. No, um, no, they, just provide, they just provide equipment to the military. Oh, yes, yes, okay. But they have access to, uh, that's a nice line. That's one of my favourite lines as well. Have you got access to military weaponry? We practically are the military. <laughs> There's some good lines in here. Um, they go to finish off Robocop. It does not go well. My dream to still, I saw this, uh, I didn't see it in the cinema, but I saw it on VHS maybe a year later. My dreams are still haunted by what happens to Emil. Um, he drives into, drives that, that his van. That was the scored highest with test audiences as well. Oh, was it? <laughs> more so than poor Kenny, more so than Murphy. He drives into, he drives his van into a van of, I don't know what it is, toxic acid. It says toxic waste on it. Um, but he comes out. Uh, looking like he's been through a, a washing machine on a very high cycle and then chewed on by a dog for a bit. But it's it's not good for him. Uh, but it doesn't last long because he's hit by... Uh, Paul. I can hear Paul Verhoeven saying, more blood, more blood on the windscreen. He's hit by Clarence Bodica's car and just sort of pops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's quite unpleasant. Anyway, there is a big fight um, which leads to... Um, Lewis helps, but um, they're in serious trouble. Clarence Bodica's about to win, whereupon uh, Robocop's pointy uh, data stick comes in handy um, <laughs> as he sticks in Clarence Bodica's neck to do, an do enormous you have anything, amount. Any idea of the impedance le- le- level of, of a blood film? I mean, you're going to lose data rate like nobody's business there. <laughs> well, presumably he's going to give it a good clean afterwards. Um, the amount of blood that falls onto his breastplate after that is just beautiful. I'm, I'm very happy Paul Verhoeven was in the background saying, more blood, more blood. It just, <laughs> just worked here. I don't know why, but it does for me. And, um, Matt, Matt, so as the conclusion go, goes back to OCP, um, this time with, with the old man as well as, uh, Dick. Yes. And manages to, um, well, it is sort of context of a board meeting, isn't it? So he manages to explain what's going on, um, sufficiently to the, to the point that Dick Jones, now this, this is where I I think his cardinal error is, uh, rather than try to talk his way out of it, which is what he's clearly got skills at. Yes. uh, He tries to take the old man hostage and get away. Well, in your context, he goes down the, um, the you know the downtown route instead of the corporate route mm. and where he's really good is the corporate thing as you say but yeah the minute he tries to be Clarence Bodica it goes very badly and I like it the old man is clearly not as uh as much of a fool as they all think he is um and I I really like the resolution here it's not a huge shooty fight thing we've already had that it's just um the old man fires him and therefore qualification uh the uh that uh, Robocop's now allowed to arrest uh, Dick Jones because he's no longer an employee of OCP. Um, and it goes well. Arrest. Yeah. 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 Arrest. <laughs> <laughs> Cardiac, mostly, but. 
<laughs> Again, my, my, uh, as my slight issue is that the very final line of the film is one of those neat narrative things. Nice shooting, son. What's your name? What? Who's, why would he say that? it's Robocop? He knows who it is. It's Robocop. What's your name? It seems like a strange thing for him to something. But all it does is set up the fact that Robocop has now acknowledged his previous personality and he is Murphy. Mm. It works, but that's the one that actually, that final line takes me out of it because that is like, oh, screenwriter, we have to show he's developed. He knows he's Murphy. How are we going to do that? Um, oh, well, he could ask him his name. Is it? fucking seven foot tall robot <laughs> I don't think you're going to mistake him from uh, for Joe Bloggs down the pasty shop are you but but there we are otherwise um, I li- I really like the denouement otherwise I really like that it's it's actually the old man that kind of finishes it off and they've been mean to him the whole way through but actually uh, it, uh, I mean you can tell well, I like the way and, he's played and that D- D- Dick Jones has been saying uh, as, as part of his uh, Fight with with uh, Bob Morton. Bob, uh, that you know, yeah, we 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 made fun of the old man, but we did it with respect in my day. <laughs> yes, uh, I also like the the strong impression you give that the old man is just as much of a bastard as everyone else. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not like he is the doddy old man they're all talking about. I mean, Delta City is still going to happen at the end of this. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I I would be down for the sequel. Uh, fortunately for me, I've never watched any of the sequels of Robocop, and I gather they are execrable. Yeah. Um, well, they got Frank Miller involved for for two and three. I really like get some some of the they they got Peter Weller and Nancy Allen to come back for two, but it's really terrible. Was that um, Frank Miller as well? I, I, do you know, I then, absolutely. Then three, um, Nancy Allen came back for three. Peter Weller didn't, and it, it's even worse. And uh, kids as well. <laughs> speaking of even worse, even worse, I have seen the remake. Um, uh, I didn't, uh, much as we didn't want to watch the sequels for this episode, I didn't want to condemn you to the remake. Somehow they make this story of a cyborg robot and this cybernetic figure. It's boring. I don't know. They, they try and make it um, in a way that this film is all about satire. Well, not all about, but they... That's another thing. We've talked about this before. Films that we like, uh, that the the thing that they're poking is sort of an undercurrent, like in Night of the Living Dead. Um, there's an undercurrent of racism and uh, in Dawn of the Dead, the undercurrent of consumerism. In Jaws, you know, there's an undercurrent of... Um, uh, the social context of how we deal with this giant shark, and here there's it's a bit more to the fore. But here there's this undercurrent of um, uh, capitalism and consumerism and corporate, uh, particularly eighties Reaganism. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, it, it's probably a bit less subtle than the other films I mentioned. Uh, in the remake, they try and do that with politics, um, and to some extent, as I've said, politics is currently unsatirizable. Um, and also, it's just, it just doesn't work. It's just boring. I would not recommend it if you haven't seen it. Don't. Mm. Go watch this again instead. Yeah, and this is still out there. Um, yeah, Verhoeven's career is interesting in this. I mean, he, he'd done Soldier of Orange, um, a few years earlier, about 10 years earlier, which is basically a, a, a World War II resistance thing, which is right. pretty, pretty darn solid. Uh, probably what he was best known for at this point was uh, Fre- uh, Flesh and Blood. 
Now, it's, I read an interview with, uh, or read something with Paul Verhoeven where, um, he grew up in, um, uh, in, uh, Holland, uh, which was Nazi occupied during the time. Yeah. Uh, when he was like five or six. And so there'd been, he remembered walking through streets following bombing raids by the Allies and just these bits and pieces of people around mm-hmm. and on on so he was he found it sort of hard to say in the interview but on some level he assimilated oh that's what a severed hand looks like and that's what a bit of it and on some level he just kind of assimilated that in a in a way that would be horrifying to an adult but to him it just sort of sank in um which may explain his obsession with sort of blood and gore and things like that later on but, but it was a really interesting uh discussion about it uh, so after this, um, the, I've heard it described as the as the anti-fascism trilogy of, of this uh, Total Recall and Starship Troopers. I uh, Total Recall. Um, I like. Like, I don't know whether we'll ever discuss it here or not. I, I like it. Like it doesn't feel like it's got all the little touches that I like about Robocop. I'm not. We, sure we didn't include it in our review of Eighties Arnie. <laughs> we didn't. We nearly okay, it's did. Technically, yeah. 1990, but. Um, Starship but, but, Troopers. But then, sadly, he did Basic Instinct and Showgirls. So. Yeah, then it really went um, off the boil a bit, didn't it, for Verhoeven? Well, he became known as this OTT uh, thing. Uh, I suppose Starship Troopers. He kind of read Heinlein's book and thought this guy was a fascist. <laughs> um, I, I suspect uh, he, he read a review of Heinlein's book, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think many fascists would have written Stranger in a Strange Land, personally. There is criticism to be made about the book. Um, and it has been. Yes. Uh, I I don't think, I don't think the film is an effective commentary on the book. Uh, I I want to watch it again. I, I've got fond memories of the film. Uh, of the SS? Well, <laughs> I was thinking it's got Clancy Brown in it, and I'm down with anything with Clancy Brown in yeah. it. But um, I'm I'm going to give it a try again because, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't. Everyone says it's rubbish. Anyway, um, there, is, there was an animated series um, that sprung off from that where they actually had the budget to do the powered armor, and that, and that that some of that was actually pretty good. But yeah, I okay. don't have much time for the film itself. But yeah, you know, we, we've got some great faces here. Uh, Miguel Ferrer, uh, we talked about before uh, in Traffic. Where, where he is sadly gen- generic drugs guy. Um, yes, he's it's not that um uh, it's not that exciting there. Here he's but, but, uh, he, but he has he has a lovely distinctive face. This I think was the first place I saw him. Um, yes. Also also in Deep Star 6 which was one of those three wet films of 1989. Um, oh god, yes. It was the yeah. cheapest and the worst one, but he he's he, he's, <laughs> he, he's still he's still pretty good in it. Uh well yes, always watchable and distinctive. And yeah, I'm, I I do have a problem with this as an as an anti-fascism film because yes, on the one hand we've got the the heroic cop going going up against the corporates, but he is still an arm of the state. You know, his his job is yeah. still enforce the law, and who who gets to decide what the law is? Well, it's it's, it's not the guys uh, trying to live in old Detroit. Well, exactly. So explicitly, he, someone could go in and program him with something else. Um, it doesn't feel so much anti-fascist to me as. To, to me, it felt more of a satire, as you say, explicitly mm. on Reaganism. Uh, it feels knowing to me in the sense that, yeah, the, the, the Robocop character could be a tool of the state and is 
and probably will get corrected fairly shortly after this film. Um, a sequel's not, uh, notwithstanding. Is, uh, is oh it boy, a masterpiece, it do, um, do you think, Rod? I think so. Um, I, I certainly enjoyed it. I, I've, this is poor fourth or fifth, maybe, time I've seen it. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm st- certainly still seeing new things in it. Um, I will certainly, clearly, it's been very widely imitated. Um, again, as we've said before, usually in the, in the easy things. <laughs> yeah, they, they took the gore and the, yeah, yeah. I, I think, much as I think the gore works, I don't dislike it particularly. I mean, it's there what for was that a film reason. we watched? That's the thing. Well, yes, and the film we watched recently, um, uh, the, oh, um, Renfield. Mm. It, it wasn't there for a reason. It was there for like laughs or comedy and there it just got wearing to me. I just, I just found it too, mm. too much. I, I didn't hate it, but I just, it, it was too much. Whereas here it's, um, it's usually got a, a, a reason if it's trying to shock you, if it's doing it to set up something later on. Um, like, yeah works well for me for me it's a masterpiece um it wasn't as influential as um you know last last time we talked i didn't think halloween was a masterpiece um but i have to admit it makes a very strong case because of its uh massive influence and i don't think robocops had anything like that level of influence but it has i, I think influenced. a lot of stuff was copied so certainly I, I suspect most of the um corporate shenanigans while they may remind us of network were probably taken from this Yes, that's true. That's fair. Um, to me, it's a masterpiece in the sense that I could watch it again later today, even though I watched it yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's a pretty good sign of things. And the fact that quite recently a documentary has come out on the making of it, a five hour thing. Uh, I, I am currently watching it. I strongly recommend it. So Which su- uh, suggests that there is, there is some lasting value perceived by people other than us. <laughs> yes, uh, of course we are the final arbiters of whether a thing is a masterpiece or not, so they don't need to do it anymore. But uh, all all good luck to them. Well done. Well, there we are. I would indeed buy it for a dollar. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> Does it hurt? Does it hurt? Um, very good. <laughs>